0: absolutely love what I do love my career like literally when I get up every morning knowing what I'm going to be doing that day I'm like bring it on hello and
1: welcome to your own drum from the empowered feminine
0: where we speak to brilliant women about their
1: lives and how to find happiness in a complicated world my name is Claire Spink founder of the empowered feminine and lover of all things that guide women home through self-empowerment so if you feel like you're in need of reconnection or recharge, this is a podcast for you. <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> today's episode. I'm really sorry to start this laughing. The reason I'm laughing is because I love Bridget Jones and there's a moment in Bridget when she has to introduce someone and all she's got going around in the head is Mr. T- Mr. Titsper, Mr. Oh, Mr. Titspervert. So with that in mind... <laughs> I've been practising for about 10 minutes beforehand (laughs) to welcome my guest today, which is, welcome, Michelle Shavdia.
0: Perfect. Ah, yes.
1: Nailed it. (laughs) Welcome, Michelle. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Ah, it's good. We've um, been chatting before we came on the podcast, so we've got to know each other. We've realised that we're on the same wavelength. (laughs) Mercury retrograde is happening whilst we're uh, recording this. (laughs) We are glum for punishment, so... (laughs) could all go completely (laughs) pear-shaped. We've had coffee beforehand, which is (laughs) not so ceremonial, but never mind. We're um, just a little bit buzzy. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to hand over to Michelle in a moment because I really love what Michelle does in the world. And the fact that we've been meant to record this podcast numerous times and Mm. we've had to cancel for whatever reason. And Michelle is a psychologist, And she particularly focuses on working with children. Mm -hmm. And so this is really prevalent for what's going on in my life at the moment, which I'm probably going to share and overshare (laughs) during this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But first of all, I'd love to just welcome you in. Mm -hmm. And if we can kick off with why did you get into
0: the work Mm -hmm. that you do? Good question. Okay, so I suppose if we were to go back to right where it started, the reason why it started is I lost my dad at 14. So my life was going on a certain trajectory. I kind of assumed I was going to kind of go more into like a media path, Mm -hmm. journalism, loved acting, loved dancing, that kind of thing. So I thought that was the life I was going to have. And then his passing at 14 kind of changed things, so I kind of went that way. And it kind of made me realise... How much more there is to life, and it made me also realize how much more I wanted to give back to life, and I just I don't mean this in a horrible way to people who are in the media industry, but I wanted to do something a bit more deeper. yeah, if that makes sense yeah i mean i lo- I'm all for media, I love media, but there was just something deeper and more purposeful to his passing that I felt called to do. Um, and in, I think it kind of came to me that that was a quite a negative experience that happened to me. But if I could get something positive out of it yeah. and help others go through something similar, if they're going through something similar, then that would make that experience not as negative. Wow. Did you get
1: support at 14?
0: So I did. Um, but I think, as we were talking about earlier, I wasn't quite ready for it at that age. Yeah. So there were many times when I taken to counselling and I would just sit there in silence Yeah. so I can remember one experience and it was just one session um, the, the counsellor came and I li- the whole session was like maybe 45-50 minutes didn't say a word, nothing and I think toward the end I, I kind of said I, I feel like I should be I said this to the lady I think I feel like I should be feeling something, I should be saying something but I don't know there was nothing coming out I yeah. wasn't quite ready to, to process it, or it was too much to process. Yeah. So at that point, it, it just was, it didn't work for me. So since 14, and I'm now 38, there's been numerous things I've tried, some more successful than others. Um, but now I'd say at this age, I'm, I'm in a much better position, and I have been for quite some time, to, to be able to help others with it. Um, but we're all works in progress, so there's still more to learn. Yeah, sure.
1: Never ending, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Never ending, story. (laughs) So do you find that you've
1: kind of developed, because of your own experience, do you feel Mm. that you've developed your own ways of being able to work with children to help Mm. them to open up and to understand kind of what's going on with them?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, yes. Um, I've obviously done a master's degree in coaching psychology. So professionally, I've got the qualifications and I've done the learning and got Mm. the knowledge. But I think it's not, I think the reason why I'm successful with the majority of children that I work with is because I'm just myself and I'm authentic and I I don't know what it is I do. I can't put my finger on it, but children just, not all children, but the majority of children seem to open up to me. Yeah. And I've had sometimes too much. <laughs> um, I've, like last year, or I think it was, or maybe the year before, I had an experience where um, I had 10 children I was working with and there was something about me that enabled these children to just overshare and just tell me loads of stuff. And I was just sitting there with, okay, this is a lot. Um, So I don't know what it is I do. Maybe it's um, because I'm an empath. Yeah. So I'm able to be quite... give a lot of empathy and children and people respond well to that perhaps. But, um, yeah, my friends always laugh. They always say, what is it that you do? Because I always get people disclosing things. I'm like, oh, gosh. (laughs) But...
1: Yeah, yeah, it must be. Yeah, the end. And also you have such a warmth about um, you that you automatically feel really comfortable
0: Yeah, um,
1: in your presence. So, oh, And children you. really, they need to feel that, don't they? And then you're not coming across as a stern mm. kind of, you know, prof- I mean, you are professional, don't say yeah, that, yeah, but no, you're not coming oh, across yeah. as one of those kind of people where they're going to be intimidated. They need to know that they can sit there and talk to you kind of like a friend.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a critical friend, perhaps. I don't know if that's critical is the right word, but... Um, Yeah, and I always say to them, the best way this is going to work is if you're open and honest, knowing that I'm not going to judge you for anything that you tell me, and nothing you can tell me is going to shock me. Um, And obviously if they say something that's safeguarding-wise, I can't keep that to myself, but anything else, I will be keeping confidential. And I think that statement perhaps is what helps the children feel like uh, they can trust me, and they, they tend to then open up and tell me things.
1: Well, and so you work with, I know that you also work a lot, don't you, with children that have got ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and this mm. is something that you yourself yeah. were diagnosed with only recently.
0: Yeah. So this is the interesting thing. So um, so I moved to Colchester and I think five, six years ago and was pr- pr- predominantly working with young people up to that point. Came to Colchester, was doing all the networking that you have to do when you, s- you come to a new area with a business and met lots of different people and got... Um, in with um, a a social enterprise called Maze which works with parents and children of additional needs and also another one called Autism and ADHD. So I did quite a lot of work with them and through that work and other work I was doing in schools I came across a lot of children with ADHD Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and at this point didn't know I had ADHD and there was a particular school I went to and I was working with three boys, one boy in particular who had ADHD and it was extreme Um, and I was like wow this is like he was bouncing off the walls. And by the end of it, though, he'd given me a hug and he was like, thank you so much. And the, it was beautiful. And he's actually he's changed quite a lot. I've got a lot of contact still with his family. But I remember seeing that boy and thinking, wow, you know, that's incredible to, to be like that, to, to be the way that he was. And then to find out then, I think it was a year or two later, that I myself also had ADHD. I found, thought that was like, wow. Mm. I wonder if my me having ADHD is what helps me work with these children. Yeah. Perhaps they can... They
1: can pick, resonate with Yeah, you. they
0: resonate with it. They pick up on it or something. Um, but, yeah, I didn't realise until I was 37. I'm 38 now, so... Wow. And how do you think it's been... Has it been, like, obviously a really positive thing? Just actually... I don't mean labelling it, but actually mm. having an understanding of... Yeah. Oh, now I know what I'm working with. 100%. For me, it has been the yeah. most positive thing because I've gone through 37 years of not knowing what was going on for me and getting often misdiagnosed and me doing my own kind of Google diagnosis, thinking is it this, is it that, which is just like in a way soul-destroying because you're just like, you, you never quite figure it out. So to be able to get a clear diagnosis and know what you're working with, it just kind of opens up things for you yeah. and it helps you be more focused and go, okay, this is what it is and this is how we deal with it. And, and I'm, I really accept it i'm really happy with it there is times obviously you feel like oh i wish i'd known when i was younger mm-hmm. but then you've got to i didn't so there's no point in me <laughs> thinking yeah. like that it is what it is kind of thing
1: yeah. yeah i've got um quite a lot of friends around me that have kind of said to me that they've just got a diagnosis or they feel that they might be mm. and one particular lady She said that it was so valuable for her finding out that she'd been diagnosed Mm. because she said, Now I understand why I never fitted into the boxes of school or following this certain path, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And she said, It's just now that I've got this whole new acceptance of self. Mm
0: -hmm. That's it.
1: And also, then for her to understand that she's got two boys. And one's all ADHD and one, I think, is more on the autistic spectrum, I think. And she said, you know, one's taken after her and the other one's taken after the dad. But, you know, the the whole family have got, um, you know, they've they've got the autism or the ADHD within within them. But just for them to actually be able to work together and understand each other. It's like any condition, isn't it? When you know what you've got Mm -hmm. and you know how to work with it. it, it's allowing other people to be able to... Kind of understand where you're at, yeah. So that there's acceptance from from all around, and mm. like you say, I think that's probably why so many of these children that maybe are not diagnosed, and some that will be diagnosed, will be able to resonate with you,
0: yeah, because
1: yeah. they're going to pick up on that energy. Yeah. Because it does, I I, I do yeah. believe that yeah, it, it gives off a very different vibe and a different oh, energy.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like prior to finding out, I probably wouldn't have known many people of my like. Adults who had ADHD, mm. I probably would have known maybe one or two. Majority would have been children. And then since being diagnosed, I may may know, but I can count on one hand. Or we'll no, maybe two hands now. How many people I know of ADHD? But being in their presence, it's just like your friends instantly. You get each other. Yeah, you're like on the same vibe, your same wavelength, and it's really hard to explain. But you click. It's like you click, um, which and it's like. Sometimes I find being with certain other people who may not have ADHD and may have maybe a different condition or something, you really notice the energy difference.
1: Yeah,
0: Because I did a group, I was teaching a group, and I remember just the energy I was getting from this group. It was very flat. I wasn't getting very much back. And I'm someone who gives a lot of energy. So when I don't get much back, I'm like, this is hard work. (laughs) So I I do agree with you. Yeah, it is a lot to do with energy.
1: And do you... I mean, I know that, obviously, some of the work that I've been doing around inherited trauma, mm. um, and they say how ADHD mm. comes from, you know, obviously we can get it inherited so that it, mm. it can travel down or through through the generations, mm-hmm. but also that traumas that happened to us either at birth, mm-hmm. during conception. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with your work as a psychologist, mm. do you see those patterns mm-hmm. as well? And do yeah. you have, are there particular ones that you see that seem to kind of repeat themselves as certain patterns that kind of go, ah, oh, that that kind of links into...
0: Yeah, it is quite an interesting subject, actually, Mm -hmm. and I I think possibly a bit contentious, I love a bit of contention. Yeah, let's bring it on. (laughs) But um, someone who I really rate, recommend, respect is someone called Garbo Marte. Yep, love. Love Garbo Marte. And he's a big proponent of this idea, isn't he, that ADHD comes from trauma? Mm -hmm. Because he himself has got ADHD, and his... He was born during the Holocaust, so his mum would have been very stressed. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that's how he came to have ADHD. Um, And I can I can see why, like, yeah. he thinks that way. But then when you bring, I've obviously been grappling with this, and I've, I sometimes get a bit confused, because you obviously got that way of thinking. But then you bring that idea to people like psychiatrists, other psychiatrists, or he's not one, but psychiatrists or medical profession, and they were like, Trauma does not cause ADHD. In fact, I was told trauma does not cause ADHD, but ADHD can be traumatizing, which I thought was quite interesting way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm I'm in two minds. I'm not too sure. I think for me, I think it's a bit of both.
1: To yeah, I'm honest.
0: I think from birth, I probably I, I know from what my mum has reported, I was I cried a lot as a baby, and I it was very difficult to soothe. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether that was because something was going on with my brain. Yeah. And where that's come from, I mean, I can't fully say. Yeah. Because they can't really tell me, like, the causes still.
1: Yeah. But
0: um, so from birth I was a, a challenging child and it, it started young for me. So, but then there has been trauma as well in my life. So it could be a mixture. Yeah. And whether yes. that brought it out more. Yeah. Particularly. Yeah, yeah I think so. Wow. Well. I, think, I think the traumas that I've had probably were more traumatising because I've got ADHD.
1: Yeah.
0: So for someone else, they probably wouldn't have found it that traumatic. Yeah,
1: maybe. And, and maybe the reverting, like you said, when you went to your therapy, you kind of went back into yourself and you didn't really talk. Mm. That's probably your way of coping with it because mm. maybe if people hadn't really, through a younger childhood, really understood who you were before the big trauma mm. of your dad, mm. that they're not then going to understand you. Again, now, so it's like you've, you've kind of learnt that pattern of, of not feeling really understood and heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it makes it obviously impact it even more when you have got this massive trauma that you're trying to kind of express and talk about.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, possibly, yeah. And I think this
1: like is a really—I mean, it's, like I said to you earlier, this is hugely prevalent for me. The the fact that you work with children that have got traumas. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm always being somebody that wants to be real and authentic, and so you know, my podcast is gonna be no different from when I'm in real life or in my teaching. Um, my daughter, her father, left when she was about seven. I mean, she was glad that he went because she knew that he wasn't the nice... I should be careful because in case, I doubt he will <laughs> listen to this. Um, <laughs> you know, he wasn't the greatest dad. Um, and she had therapy at the time because she had a lot of anger mm. and she used to express it really easily at seven. She used to go up and really pummel the pillows mm. and really express it out. And yeah. She'd bounce on the trampoline and scream and shout. Yeah. And then it kind of eased up a little bit and she didn't have any contact with him for four years. Last year she invited him back into her life she wanted to give him another chance. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, he let her down again. Mm. But this time, it's impacted her massively. Mm. Um, but, but because she's always kind of been so emotionally mature with me, uh, and with, uh, you know, the teachers say at school that she's able to express herself, I was like, oh, she seems to be coping okay. She was quite mm. blasé about it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, it's done its thing. Mm-hmm. But really, in the last couple of months, you know, my daughter started doing some self-harming she's kind of controlling her food mm-hmm. um, she's getting into a little bit of trouble mm-hmm. and this is really out of character for her but mm-hmm. luckily i'm really grateful that her school have recognized that it is her mental health mm-hmm. and you know it has taken her to reach this real climax of kind of the trouble that she got into yesterday at school for her to finally break down and talk about you know how angry she's had the rejection mm. she feels. Just even walking down the street and seeing other dads with mm. their daughters, yeah, yeah, and how or their children, uh. and just seeing them having fun. Mm-hmm. She said that hurts her so much. And her big thing is like not feeling good enough, mm. um, not feeling worthy of him loving her, yeah. which is really hard. Yeah, you know she hasn't lost her dad the same way you lost your dad. Yeah, but because, it's kind of the same, but it is still it's still a trauma mm. for yeah. them. And I think you know with the work that I do, I see women coming in all the time that have got either a father wound or a mother wound, you know, there's always, like, an, a, a problem with one of them. And I see this impact on people in mm. their, you know, their 30s, their 40s, mm. sometimes their 50s. And so I've always been really aware that, you know, I don't want my daughter to carry these wounds. Um, and it's kind of ironic that my daughter does.
0: Yeah, but clearly <laughs> there's a reason for that, because you're in a good position to be able to then help her through it. And yeah. I, not you yourself, but you know to, yeah. kind of what's going on for her.
1: So this is divine timing, the fact that you... <laughs> see, this is why I do life. these podcasts, see? <laughs> <laughs>
0: you get people coming in it's well, like, oh, I need you in my life. Well, I do believe that you meet people when you're meant to meet them, yeah. for sure. That's, yeah, that's always how... It, synchronicity, I'm a big believer in.
1: Absolutely. So do you feel that, I mean, there was a lot of children, and I know because mm. the school said it, and I've got friends that have got their children going through the same thing.
0: Mm.
1: You know, I know that they say, oh, you know, self-harming is... Um, a trendy thing on TikTok, but they're doing it for a reason. Mm. You know, it's not just because it's trendy; they're doing it because they need attention. And it seems to be mm. on the rise. You know, the school did mention to me as well that it seems to be on the rise. Mm. So, do you feel that this is kind of an area that you cover a lot as well with mm-hmm. with these young? I guess is it many girls?
0: Um. So, typically, it's it's a mixture. I would say more for, like, the secondary school age, it's typically more girls. Mm-hmm. And then primary school is actually, weirdly enough, it's typically more boys, it has been. Okay. I wonder if it's because of the way that they display their emotion is more noticeable as a child, perhaps. Mm. And then they kind of, when they get older, maybe, I don't know, they show it, they might still show it. But, yeah, it's a mixture. Um. Uh, what was I going to say about that, though? Yeah. Yeah, I can work with both. Um. And you obviously a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of trauma that these kids are carrying
1: yeah. because, you know, I remember growing up. Mm. You know, I'm in my late 40s. Mm-hmm. I say that quietly. Mm-hmm. Where all of my friends, we were all in solid units. We had mums and dads, and it was really solid. Mm. And now, mm. you know, it's so. You know, we're all, a lot of us are single parents, or mm-hmm. we've got you know blended families, or we've got. These changes, and as much as we kind of think they don't impact our children, they Mm. are. Yeah. And as much as I think I'm giving my daughter my absolute all, Mm -hmm. and she's got a great nan and granddad, and my brother is around to be a father figure, it doesn't take away the fact for her that she hasn't got that that solid father figure. And I think that's going to be the common thing, isn't it, that Mm -hmm. you've got these children that have got you know, these fathers that are absent or the fathers or the mum, whatever's going on. Yeah, yeah.
0: And that must be huge. Yeah, well, that just reminded me of another organisation because I, I do a lot of work in tendering
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there's an organisation based in tendering called Lads Need Dads. I don't know if you've heard of them. Okay. Um, uh, They're an amazing organisation, but their, their kind of uh, ethos is that a lot of boys, young men, who end up going into the prison sector, I think I've got this right, it's often because they don't have a father figure. Yeah so you probably would, if you were to survey, like, 100 men in prison, probably, like, 90 of them perhaps didn't have a father growing up. And so they, they talk about how important it is to have that male role model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As much as us as women can give so much, there's only, like, so much, yeah. yeah. There's a certain element that needs to come, perhaps, from a father figure. Not necessarily yeah. the biological father, but father figure. Um, but, yeah, it's going to have an impact, it is yeah because we're, we're kind of conditioned and brought up to believe that it has to be two parents mm. and it doesn't have to necessarily be male or female but like yeah that is kind of how we're conditioned to believe mm. that it has and to if be it, i think
1: that's a good point isn't it even if it is two women or two men you tend to have a more masculine energy and a more feminine energy yeah um that they still so they still
0: get that dynamic
1: um
0: yeah it's, it's It's tough, isn't (laughs) it? It its tough. It's tough to be a parent. And I think now more so, like you mentioned just before, about it being now more so than ever. Like, what we've just been through with COVID has actually been very traumatising. I think a lot of... If we actually stopped to to actually think about what we've just been through as adults... Yeah. It would, like, I think a lot of us would just be breaking down because it was quite a traumatic experience. But if that's for us as adults, can we imagine the impact it's had on our children? who are still trying to come to terms with, like, puberty and you know family dynamics and all that other stuff and then you've got covid thrown into the mix i mean it's no wonder that mental health issues are increasing yeah absolutely yeah not that i can say it's because of that but I, I know that they are noticing that aren't they that
1: yeah it's i mean i know that i've looked a lot of the charity sites you know the mental health and mm. and it is very much that's what they're kind of you know really highlighting is the impact that you know, the lockdown's really happened yeah. and the, the, the not being able to socialise with yeah. their friends. I mean... Um, and the restrictions that were placed on them, you know, mm. some, chi- some children would have taken it on a lot harder than yeah. the others. And the fact as well, like, you know, if you've got people around you wearing a mask, yeah. you've got that kind of still face experiment going on where you can't see
0: people smiling at you. You've got that yeah. You've got that co-regulation going on. Exactly. So Which, it screws yeah, them up. Yeah, 100%. Um I know, like some people kind of say, "Oh, kids are so resilient." You know, they they can bounce back from that. I think they're just they're just saying that. They're just trying to say that. Oh, I could be wrong. I may be wrong. But
1: to <laughs> Can't make <be> controversial, <laughs> to, just to make
0: themselves feel better. But I do think it's going to have an impact. Like you say, yeah. the, the mask. Yes, like when I was saying about like sometimes when you're in a certain company and and you're not getting very much back, and that's even without the mask. Yeah. So if you put the mask on top, and you're not getting that kind of what you. You normally mm. tend to expect it's going to have an impact yeah. neurologically. Absolutely. I oh, know, I
1: completely agree <laughs> with you. I, I really do. Because I think, you know, especially these little tiny ones that are like, you know, two, three, four years yeah. of age, that all they're seeing, especially if you've got their mums and dads still walking around a masks and those that are living still massively in fear and wearing them in their house or and, you know, in, in the, the car. car. Yeah, I know. You know when they're on like their own. Those poor children that now got no, like I say, they, they, they haven't got that regulation going on, they haven't got that co regulation. Mm. And, yeah, I just, I, I dread to think what the impact is. It's kind of not worth thinking about, really. No, exactly. You just turn yourself to gin by 12 o'clock in the middle of the day. <laughs> this is just But it could be gin. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, um, so your company that you mm. have, and that mm. that you, that you, you that you um, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yes.
0: Fill me in. <laughs> Yeah, so I set up 11 years ago. So I became self-employed 11 years ago after having been employed for five years in a school doing a job, which now that I know I've got ADHD was completely the wrong job for me. I was an events organiser. Don't do that if you <laughs> if you have ADHD. It's, that's one of the main symptoms of having ADHD is you struggle to organise. Mm. So I remember having that job and frequently breaking down because i was like i literally don't know how to do this i can't do it why can my colleagues do this and i can't do it that was constant for the whole five years pretty much so i ended up leaving that job and becoming self-employed which was the best decision i ever made because um i ended up doing what i'm passionate about and what i'm good at i think that's really important you need to figure that out people need to figure that out for themselves what is it that you're good at and what do you love doing yeah um and do that (laughs) Quite simply, if you can. Um, so yeah, so I did that, but again, maybe because I've got ADHD, I did it quite foolishly. I literally left that job and like I got like a a part time job for eleven hours, so <laughs> it wasn't going to bring in a lot of money. So I kind of took a brave leap of faith and just did it and just hoped for the best. And obviously, it's worked out for me, but it was quite difficult for about nine months mm.
1: um,
0: figuring stuff out, but got through it and now absolutely love what i do love my career like literally when i get up every morning knowing what i'm going to be doing that day i'm like bring it on like (laughs) it's a joy to do what i do because i've created it yeah that's what yeah and i when i was an employee i found it difficult because i found being told what to do very hard i want to be able to decide that for myself i don't want other people to like manipulate me yep my hand found that one (laughs) find that quite challenging so now i feel like I, I think again maybe adhd or maybe just being a human as i am um freedom is very important to me yeah i need to feel free and when i feel controlled bad bad news i don't don't i don't do well with being controlled i react yeah. negatively to that so now that i feel free like a bird um i'm the happiest probably i've ever been perhaps yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder, if, I
1: mean, obviously we're not going to do it right now, but check out, have you looked at your human design? Do you know about human design? No. It would be fascinating. So human, I wonder if yeah. you're a manifestor like me in the fact oh. that so many things you just said that I'm like, oh, that's how I function. Oh. Um, so it's about different, you know, it brings in, uh, I think, seven different uh, series. So you've got like, you know, your chakras, your I Ching, your astrology and all these mm. different things. And it's Ooh. about your blueprint. And good. so it's quite interesting. So when you can literally live in alignment with yourself nice. and as a manifester, you, will, you have your ideas, you create them, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be told how to do things. You want to be mm-hmm. the one informing. And yes, yeah, so it'd be quite interesting yeah. to, to dive in and look at that just yeah. from, from that point of view. But um,
0: So your, your company. Yes, sorry, I didn't sorry. answer the question that you asked No, me. So, it's fine. <laughs> so, so yeah, I became self-employed and then set up this social enterprise called Find Your Spark. And by social enterprise, I mean, it's not for profit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not doing it to, you know, become very, very rich. Although, you know, it would be nice to be rich, but that's not the intention. Yeah. The intention mm-hmm. is to do social good, uh, quite simply, and to, to help people. Like, I really think that's important. Like, we lost a bit of sight of that. Um. So I initially set, set that up in, I think it was 2011, 2012 to work specifically with at-risk young people. Mm -hmm. So at risk of um, becoming neat or at risk of mental health problems or at risk of going into the prison sector um, or what have you. So that was initially what I was doing and I was running like group and one-to-one sessions with young people in schools and at their homes and that was all going really, really well. Um, And then I moved to Colchester in 2015 and it's kind of evolved to um, uh, enable me to work with parents, which is what I do one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also do some trainings, but, but it's more what I love most is working with parents one-to-one and the young people one-to-one and in groups. Um, so I do a mixture of something called brief solution-focused therapy and anger management, something mm-hmm. else I do, which is more for the, obviously the, the little ones and, and so on. Um, yeah, and I love it. And I also work with social enterprises now which is another passion of mine. Yeah. Yeah, helping them. Uh, it's just so lovely,
1: because obviously you are so passionate about what yeah. you do, and it is nice when you find what you want to do in your life and you are passionate about it, and you're clearly doing a lot of good. <laughs> and you have a new client that will be coming to see you very soon. <laughs> um, there was you. something else I was going to say on that, and my brain is. Oh, yeah, It'll I was going to, to ask you. obviously when you are and i know this myself when you give out so much you do yeah. into therapy how do you
0: what do you do to fill you yeah. up at, yes. at, you know just in your day to day that's a really good question because i think that is really important mm. i think especially when you're self-employed um, and maybe social enterprises more so than entrepreneurs but i think both you you tend to work a lot perhaps more because you have to work in order to bring yeah. in the money and the clients and it's it's constant um, so I, there were times when I used to get quite burnt out, but not so much anymore. I'm much more balanced. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'd say maybe like last year or the year before, there was a, a point when I had like 13 different projects and I was just getting completely overwhelmed by it. Yeah. <laughs> so I brought on a secretary. She, she helps me now. And it's become a lot more simple. Um, but I do definitely balance it. So things that I do now, and it's really important I do it in order for me to function just normally, but also be able to work to the best of my ability is i go for lots of walks very simple we'll yep. go for lots of walks and listen to podcasts that for me and that's good for people with adhd the walking apparently is good for the brain mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of movement apparently i plan that out after um so that's one thing i do another thing i'm love is spirituality and i started um practicing i think two three four four years ago and um, something called shamanism yeah which was life transforming for me um like i've practiced loads of different things in my life spiritual wise and otherwise but this is this is the thing for me this is the one that resonates absolutely adore it it yeah it just works it's just the most amazing thing yeah um and that's really that that's really helped me um so i do that and um, what else do i do <sighs> Same as everyone, I suppose. Like, watch your favourite documentaries, things like that. And making time for self-care. That's yes. something I've learnt recently. Yeah. So fitting in, fitting in that facial, or fitting in that massage, or um, I was going to say fitting in the gym, but I don't quite do that. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the other things the all fair. <laughs> and, and making sure, like, putting in your diary and, not make, and making sure nothing else gets in the way. Because I learnt really recently that you've got to profit first yeah. in the sense that you need to make sure when you're planning your week or planning your month, you come first in the sense that you get what you need done and any other time left over, that's what you give out.
1: Yeah. Not that's the other way around. Really good, really good way of saying it. Yeah.
0: That really helped me because yeah. before I used to do it the other way around. Yeah. I used to give to others and then whatever dregs were left over, I was like, yeah, I've got like one yeah. hour that week to do something for myself and wonder why I was so exhausted. Yeah, I think that's a really,
1: really valuable point. We do, you know, if if we're working mums, particularly if we're single mums, but anyway, even if we're working mums, we do burn out. Mm. Or we can burn out, me. Yeah, we can, if we don't prioritise. And, you know, if we're not healthy, Mm. then we haven't got
0: anything to give our children. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they they need us fully functioning, don't they?
0: 100%. And I'm sure you've heard this before, podcast listeners probably heard it before as well, but it's it's the um, airplane mask analogy which when you go on an airplane you get told put the mask on yourself first before you put it on your baby, yeah. which sounds completely counterintuitive because you think, oh, no, I need to put it on my baby first. I love my baby so much. But if you put it on your baby first and you don't put it on yourself, then if things go wrong, you're not going to be of any use to your baby. So you put it on yourself first yeah. and then you're going to be of better use to your baby and children. Yeah. So you, you really do need to look after yourself. And that's why I've really delved into and gone into the parent work I think the, it's the parents, actually, who have been kind of somewhat neglected. Because they, they, did, they always used to put their children first without yeah. realising actually the parents are the ones that perhaps need that me time as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, There's a lot of good take-homes from this, people.
0: I'm <laughs> oh, glad I'm of use. Yes. Oh, it's been lovely chatting Ooh. to you. Wait, I'm sure we could probably, Same. now
1: that I realise you're into I mean, shame, we could talk for hours, but yes, we're going to start to wrap up right mm-hmm. now. But okay. I'd love to really just say thank you so much.
0: You're
1: I think it's really lovely to hear, you know, as sad as your story was with your dad, yeah, the fact that you turn that into something so positive to mm-hmm. give out to others. Mm-hmm. And also with the ADHD, like mm. learning that for yourself and how that, you know, that can support not only you, But all the people that you work with, and I'm sure there's many adults that you meet, you sit there going, oh, I bet they're ADHD too. Um, Yeah, I need to learn not to do that so much. (laughs) We'll get the analysis afterwards. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, and just for actually really bringing it home that we all do need to take that time for ourselves and look Mm -hmm. after ourselves, because our mental health, our emotional well-being, Mm -hmm. our physical well-being Mm -hmm. is super, super important. We are, because that's about saying to ourselves, isn't it, that, we are worthy. Yeah, we matter. It's reminding ourselves that, yeah, we, we matter as much as everybody else. Yes, definitely. And I think that's a really valuable point.
0: Yeah, and just on that point, it is so important because when it comes to, say, resilience, I know that was a buzzword, wasn't it, recently, but if we, if we look at that, we are much more able to be resilient if we've looked after ourselves before things get hard and things get tough. Because if you've looked after yourself and then things get tough, because you've kind of built up those reserves, then when the going gets tough, you're going to be much better able to cope with it. And
1: yeah.
0: the opposite is also true. If you haven't looked after yourself and then the going gets tough, you're just going to crumble. <laughs>
1: and Absolutely. You're going to be crying in
0: a heap in the corner because you haven't been looking after yourself. It's so important. Yeah. So hopefully that's a takeaway for people. That's
1: another good takeaway. Now, I've
0: got one final question for you,
1: which I'm going to spring on you. <gasps> it's a fun one, though. Okay. If you had to play one song Ooh. that would get you up and make you feel like an oh, empowered gosh. feminine.
0: Oh, wow. It could be cheesy or it can be like, you know, spiritual. It could be anything. Mm. What would it be? Do you know what it is? Mm-hmm. My favourite, this is the song that resonates so deeply. And it's something I listened to when I was younger. And then I've recently come back into love with. Like, I heard it recently and it was just like, yes. It's Lauryn Hill, Everything is Everything. Perfect. That song does something
1: to me it's so powerful i'm gonna be listening to it on the way home from do and we're gonna add so the idea of asking you you're the first person i've actually asked this question Mm, to
0: exciting
1: we're gonna create an empowered feminine spotify playlist and i'm gonna ask every podcast person Uh uh-huh to tell me their song so yours goes at the top should we high five on that one yes please thank you michelle you're so welcome it's been an absolute honour to oh, have you on the podcast. I'm so glad I came. Yes. So. I am very. I oh know, it worked out perfectly. It was meant to be. Yes. Thank yes. you very much. I'd like to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to us as we just chatted about everything that kind of decided to just throw its way at us. Mm. Yeah, And hopefully there's some things in this podcast that have really resonated with you, mm. whether it's about the ADHD or, you know, whether you've kind of listened to it and gone, yeah, I need to get some help mm-hmm. for me or for my my child, mm-hmm. whatever the take-home is, or even if it is just that you need to kind of make that time to do some self-care. Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank you for listening in. And now I'm going to say goodbye to you, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Shavdia. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Fantastic. Goodbye. 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 If you've enjoyed this show, then please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you on the next one. Big juicy love.